0: We averted another right wing insurrection. Oh gosh, I'm so relieved. Today, March 5th. Yesterday was March 4th. When I was assured by the mainstream media that right wing insurrectionist, Trump supporting insurrectionists were going to launch a coup d'etat, you see, that's the reason that the left and the mainstream media gave for extending. The National Guard in D.C., uh, that was the reason they gave for why Washington, D.C. still looks like Baghdad, like some occupied city. But the coup, it never came. But they, they still extended the National Guard in D.C. Huh. So glad we haven't had an insurrection. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from John Doe, who says, as a person of Neanderthal ancestry, I am offended by Joe Biden's comments. He needs to be held accountable. This is a very insightful uh, strategy for identity politics because I I read somewhere, who knows, I don't really trust most studies that come out that are reported in the mainstream media. But uh, there was one that says that uh, people who derive from places other than Africa, but people who derive from the Near East, from Europe, from Asia, are uh, in part, in very small part, Neanderthal. They found Neanderthal DNA there. So you can claim this. You can say I'm a member, even even if you say I have white privilege, I am a member of one of the most oppressed groups in in history, namely the Neanderthals. Uh, One great way for you uh, not to suffer the same fate as some of our forebears, for you not to go extinct, and for your money not to go extinct, is to check out Rock Auto rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. One, because you're going to get the best prices. Two, they're a great business and they're very reliable. Three, they're fair to both pros and do-it-yourselfers. They got the same prices for both. But four, this one is very important to me, they won't humiliate you like happens when you go to the brick and mortar store, when you go in and you start getting peppered with all these questions, hey, what kind of Honda do you have? And is it this? And is it that? And is it the ZT2? And is it, I don't, I don't know what kind of Honda I have. Then he goes in the back, they don't have the car part. They go online, probably to rockauto.com, order the part, charge you twice as much. The whole experience is humiliating. Save yourself that degradation, that indignity. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. Uh, once you find those absolute perfect parts, very easy, you check out, their website is so simple to navigate, even I can do it. Then, make sure you don't forget this, write Knowles, K N O W L E S in there. How Did You Hear About Us box, so they know that we sent you. Go check them out, fabulous, fabulous business. I, I've been told that we avoided an insurrection, which is uh, why we have national guardsmen stationed all around DC and we have barbed wire and giant fences all around our federal buildings because we avoided an insurrection. Now I'm no expert on coup d'etats, but it would seem to me that uh, the, the uh, world in which we have troops stationed all around the Capitol and where we have giant buildings and, and, uh, giant gates and, and lots of barbed wire to my mind, that, that more closely resembles a coup d'etat than than ordinary functions of government. But this is what we were told. We were told this by the mainstream media. They're gonna deny it now. They're gonna say, no, we never said anything about March 4th. They did. CNN, this is the date QAnon followers are looking forward to. Forbes, how Donald Trump's DC hotel feeds QAnon's March 4th conspiracy. CNN, these Trump supporters are convinced he'll be president again on March 4th. Washington Post, why March 4th matters to QAnon extremists leading to fears of another attack. ABC, house to wrap early amid threat of violence connected to QAnon about March 4th. USA Today, police bolster security at US Capitol as QAnon claims Trump will become president March 4th. BBC, we're talking now across the pond. Why are QAnon believers obsessed with March 4th? And then finally, the Washington Post at the Capitol, a March 4th threat by Trump QAnon supporters proves a mirage. I spend a lot of time in the right wing media. I'm sure that many of you do as well. I never heard anything about March 4th. I saw a lot of commentary that was asking why the National Guard is still stationed all around DC, but I didn't see anything about March 4th. The only place I saw anything hyping some kind of riot on March 4th was in the mainstream media. Then it didn't happen, and they take the fact that it didn't happen as a good reason why we need to now extend the National Guard in Washington, DC. You understand? We were told that we had an insurrection on January 6th because there was not enough security In Washington, D.C. Now we're being told that we didn't have an insurrection on March 4th because there was too much security in Washington, D.C. Okay, fair enough. And that's why we need to extend the security in Washington, D.C. There's no end to this. They're just taking more and more power. They're very good at this. Joe Biden recognizes that Nancy Pelosi is pushing now a a lethal threat to our political order through the House of Representatives. Joe Biden, while video chatting with Nancy Pelosi, he said, honey, I admire the devil out of you. Nancy, I love you. There's no one I'd rather work with than you. We've been friends a long time and your whole family your daughters, and it's just been a great relationship. And uh, you just have a special way about you, Nancy. And you're also uh, very, very, which is important. You're kind, but you're tough and you know what's right and you stick by it. And uh, I admire the devil out of you. Biden's usually not great with his word choice. This one, I think, absolutely spot on. I admire the devil out of you, Nancy Pelosi. I don't, I can't say I recognize a ton of divinity in you, but I certainly recognize the devil and, oh gosh, Nancy, I admire the devil out of you. I just love practicing our dark arts together and uh, worshiping the Lord of the underworld. Yeah, I just love the devil out of you. Nancy is pushing something called the For the People Act, H.R. 1. Breitbart had a good rundown on this yesterday. This is, I'm not going to say it's the most radical legislation. That probably goes to the Equality Act, which the House just passed as well. This is, is the crookedest legislation I've seen go through the House of Representatives ever in my lifetime. H.R. 1 is a, an essential threat to our constitutional order, to our election systems. H.R. 1 gives Congress control over congressional elections. It says that Congress has broad authority To regulate the time, place, and manner of congressional elections. What could go wrong giving congressmen the ability to regulate their own elections? What could possibly go wrong? Not a power grab at all, right? Uh, H.R. 1 effectively outlaws voter ID, the most basic ballot security measure. It effectively outlaws that, says it's burdensome. It limits legal challenges to its own law. Only D.C. courts can hear challenges to H.R. 1, which affects our election systems all over the country, according to to the law, HR1 uh, mandates automatic and online voter registration, so states no longer have the right to organize their own kind of voter registration plans. People will automatically be registered, and then they've got to come off the rolls. However, however, if states try to take ineligible voters off the voter rolls, uh, that will also be much more difficult, if not impossible, because of HR1. HR1 protects illegal aliens who have been automatically registered to vote. Mandates same day voter registration, uh, mandates voter registration of 16 year olds who are not allowed to vote yet, but they need to be registered to vote. It makes it, I kid you not, a federal crime to spread fake news about the elections. So, to give you just an example of this, there's an old joke. You say, hey, are you a Republican? Make sure you vote on Tuesday. Oh, you're a Democrat? Make sure you vote on Thursday, right? This is an old joke. Both parties have said it for a long time. So, in 2016, I posted a meme to this effect, you know, Democrats don't forget to vote tomorrow, but Republicans vote today. I was suspended from Facebook for a day or something like that. Twitter maybe too. I don't really remember. According to H.R. 1, I could face legal consequences for that. That would become a federal crime. Uh, mandatory early voting. So it destroys the idea of election day becomes election season, which is obviously much more vulnerable to fraud. Mandates vote by mail without photo ID, which is according to some states unconstitutional. Uh, This would make it a requirement. Mandatory legal ballot harvesting so that Democrat operatives can go pick up a bunch of ballots from, from people. Maybe filled out by the voters themselves, maybe not. Mandatory campus vote coordinators, So it puts a burden on colleges to hire people to harvest votes. Why are they going to harvest the votes? Because the college is overwhelmingly going to vote for Democrats. And it establishes a commission to study making Washington, D.C. a state. Washington, D.C. exists specifically not to be a state. The argument for D.C. is that no state should control the seat of federal power. That's why they took some some of Maryland, some of Virginia, and they make it Washington, D.C. Now they want to turn this into a state. Why? It gives Democrats much more power, gives Democrats two more votes in the Senate, gives Democrats another congressman, gives Democrats an advantage in presidential voting. It's not just the government seizing this kind of power. Uh, YouTube is, of course, taking more and more power, not just from those of us who say things that YouTube doesn't like on our channels, not just those of us in the media or who are working in politics but are not elected. They're now censoring Trump. They obviously censored Trump's YouTube channel. Trump then gave a speech at CPAC over the weekend YouTube has censored that speech and has suspended the channel that posted that speech. The video was approaching 4 million views. Can't have that. Can't have that because some oligarchs in Silicon Valley are now going to control our political discourse. And even if someone was a duly elected president, they're not permitted to speak because Google now gets veto power. Beyond that, moving over to eBay, beyond people elected president, now to the most frivolous example, Dr. Seuss. Is being banned from eBay. We know that Dr. Seuss's publisher is no longer going to publish the racist Dr. Seuss books, Dr. Seuss in part being canceled. So, because they're not being published anymore, the only place you're going to be able to get them is on auction sites, secondhand. eBay, quote, is currently sweeping our marketplace to remove these items. According to the Wall Street Journal, an eBay spokesman said that it would take time to review seller listings and monitor newly published listings. Dr. Seuss, too hot to read. This company, eBay, is taking active measures to prohibit kids from ordering. I don't even know the names of the titles. Look what happened on Mulberry Street. Is that one of them? Actively monitoring to, to prohibit banned cartoon books for children. Mein Kampf, by the way, is still on eBay. Mein Kampf, Hitler's book. Still, you can still buy Mein Kampf. You can sell Mein Kampf. Why is that? Some people are pointing out the hypocrisy. It's not hypocrisy. It's a strategy. Mein Kampf, is not a threat to the left. Dr. Seuss is much more of a threat to the left than Mein Kampf because Dr. Seuss does not toe the politically correct line. It shows you that we used to have sort of, we were a little looser about some things. We could tell jokes about one another. We We were not so agitated. We didn't all kowtow to this grievance politics. Mein Kampf actually helps the left because what the left wants to do is say that all of their enemies are Nazis. And in order for that calumny to have any weight, they need to keep Nazis in our mind all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if the left starts mailing out copies of Mein Kampf to everybody so that they can still have this boogeyman and and tell us that half of our countrymen are Nazis. Far more important that they ban Dr. Seuss than they ban Hitler. This seems to me in the wake of the mirage coup d'etat yesterday when the mainstream media told us the right wing is going to have an insurrection, a coup d'etat, it seems to me we're having a bit of a silent insurrection. And we have for months and months and months. And it's not being perpetrated by the right. It's being perpetrated by the left, which is slowly but steadily, gradually upending our entire political order. They've been doing this in a very subtle way for about a hundred years through political correctness, which is coincidentally the subject of my book, which will no doubt be banned by big tech soon enough. The book doesn't come out until June 22nd. You can pre-order now, which might be your best chance to get it. Speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. It details step by step how the left has, has, uh, advanced this campaign. But it also points out that the campaign is not what we thought it was. The way the right has fought against political correctness is completely failed. We've pretended it's a battle between free speech and censorship. It's not. It's a battle between two competing standards. And our strategies that we've used to fight it are completely wrong. They're actually counterproductive and we need to completely change course. Otherwise, you are going to have this subtle, gradual insurrection whereby our election rules completely changed whereby our uh, method of persuading our fellow citizens in our republic completely compromised. In a republic, our ability to persuade one another, that is politics. If they, in big technology or in the left-wing establishment broadly, if they can curtail that, they utterly control the politics. If they can censor former presidents, they can completely upend our culture. If Dr. Seuss, I mean, we've been making fun of the Dr. Seuss thing for a while. Dr. Seuss is actually crucial to the fight. If they can cancel a beloved children's author, and if they can totally control the way that children's minds are formed, they will control our politics. Meanwhile, the argument for banning Seuss is anti-racism, so-called anti-racism. Anti-racist ideology, quote unquote, is also being used to transform the country at our southern border right now there is a surge at our southern border. The number of young migrants who are being referred to HHS for release into the US has surged 600% since President Trump left office. 600%. A flood of new people entering the country undermines our sovereignty and also gives Democrats likely voters. I'm just looking at public opinion surveys. In 2020, 30,000 unaccompanied minors arrived at the Southern border. Administration officials estimate that this year they will, they will see 117,000 unaccompanied minors. We know why the left is doing this, why the left is encouraging this because one, it tugs on the heartstrings. It makes their opponents look awful if we don't want to let in all sorts of unaccompanied minors who, who, by the way, are facing horrible conditions as they come into this country. They're often being brought over uh, through coyotes. Uh, There was a statistic that came out years ago from Huffington Post and Fusion, I believe, which said that something like 60% or more of uh, young women and girls who cross the border illegally are raped or sexually assaulted on the journey. It's really a a terrible journey for young people. The left is incentivizing that because they think we're not going to find out about that sort of thing and because they know that they're very likely to be able to count on their votes later on. But doesn't this raise a problem? The left is telling us that the fact that in Florida you can go to a restaurant, the fact that in Florida you can leave your home is tantamount to mass murder. It's irresponsible Republicans killing all of us because people can move freely within their own towns. But at the same time, they're telling us that we need to welcome hundreds of thousands of migrants who have not really been screened, who have not I assume they're not wearing masks, who are pouring across the border. Isn't this a bit of a contradiction? If we're allowed to have hundreds of thousands of people cross into our country illegally from who knows where, shouldn't I be able to go down the street and go to the restaurant? Joy Reid of MSNBC says this question, absolutely wrong, unjust, and racist.
1: After following DeSantis down the COVID denial path and recklessly opening up his state without any restrictions this week, he's deflecting criticism by dishing out anti-immigrant xenophobia. The Biden administration was releasing illegal illegal immigrants into our communities who had COVID. The Biden administration was spreading COVID in South Texas yesterday because of their lack of constraint of of, of testing and and, uh, quarantining. Uh, people who'd come across the border illegally. The Biden administration uh, was exposing Texans to COVID. That is Neanderthal-type approach uh, to dealing with the COVID situation. So, for that absurdly racist claim, Governor Abbott is the absolute worst. For the second time this week,
0: that absurdly racist, totally true claim makes Governor Abbott the worst. Governor Abbott said that. COVID is being released into Texas because of the method in which the federal government is taking in immigrants, illegal immigrants. Uh, That's obviously true. Joy Reid does not dispute that. It's common sense and it follows all of the logic of the pandemic. So she's not saying it's not true. She's just saying it's also racist. Can you this is a subtle shift, but it is an important one. When, when I think of what is racism, I think racism is uh, unjust. It's uh, wicked, wrong, and therefore it, it can't be true. It can't be based on true things. If I say something that is true and the truth offends somebody, that's not my problem. That doesn't make me a racist. What Joy Reid is saying is, and there was actually a comedy video years ago that was going around YouTube that said, they said just because something's true doesn't mean it's not racist. And Joy Reid is now saying that earnestly. She's saying, don't you dare say true things because if you do, I'll call you a bigot and we will suppress your speech and we will censor you. That's the message of the broader left-wing establishment. We're seeing this day by day, all of us in our individual lives. Actually, there's a woman who went viral on TikTok yesterday who is claiming that she was fired from her job for doing her job because a woman of a racial minority was able to claim without any evidence that she was offended, implying the woman did something wrong and and the young woman lost her job.
1: I normally don't do this on TikTok, but today I am livid, so I want your opinion to see if this kind of thing is justified. So I work at a retail store and I've worked there now for like a year and a half. Well I'm moving these racks and I didn't want to hit anyone, so I kind of look to each side to see if anyone's on the other side to see if I can move it. Well I look this way and I end up seeing someone, so I stop and I don't move it. Well she instantly looks at me and says, can I help you with something? And I'm like, oh no, I'm sorry, I was just going to move the rack and I want to make sure I didn't hit anyone. Well then, she says, I want to put a corporate complaint against you for racial profiling because apparently I looked at her the wrong way and was assuming she didn't have money. I would never just assume someone doesn't have money by what they look like. That is stupid. (laughs) Well, I had to give a whole statement about the thing and overall they called me up today and fired me due to me looking at someone and being racist. So, do you think that's justified or do you think that's wrongful termination because I'm pissed?
0: I don't know if this particular story that this woman is telling is true. I have no reason to disbelieve it. But I think we have all seen evidence that these sorts of things happen. Just the Woca Cola Be Less White campaign that LinkedIn has now taken off of their platform, thankfully, just that alone shows you that this sort of thing happens. You can be accused of racism for saying something that's true. You can be accused of racism for looking at someone. I don't necessarily blame the left-wingers who are using this political strategy because the left is frequently dishonest. They, they If they are rejecting a sort of transcendent moral order, then they really have no problem with being dishonest and, and lying about these things. And it's very effective. It's a grift. It's a total grift. We're, we're seeing actually some fissions among some of the most prominent race hustlers in the country because race hustling is big business. BLM has taken in lots and lots of donations since the George Floyd killing or the George Floyd death, I guess. We'll find out in the trial whether he died of drugs or health problems or whether he died because he was, he was killed by somebody. But this is big business. I read that that there are some numbers, it's hard to get exact exact numbers here, but I I have read that BLM has taken in something like $90 million, might be significantly more than that. And some other race hustlers want in on the action. The family of Michael Brown. You remember Michael Brown? Michael Brown was a young man in Ferguson, Missouri, who robbed a store, then was walking down the street, and then uh, charged a police officer, grabbed his gun, and sadly was killed in this incident. Officer doesn't appear to have done anything wrong, uh, but it is a sad incident. A guy died. Just generally speaking, that's a sad thing. So the Michael Brown incident helped to, to start the Black Lives Matter movement because the reality of what happened to Michael Brown was completely rewritten. We were told he was a gentle giant. We were told he had his hands up, and he said, Hands up, don't shoot. Didn't happen. It was completely contradicted by the witnesses and the grand jury. But that myth launched. BLM, now BLM's making a lot of money and now Michael Brown's family and some of the local community organizers, also known as race agitators in Ferguson, are demanding a cut of the action. Mike Brown Sr. and Tony Russell, a local organizer, have demanded that the Black Lives Matter organization provide $20 million to continue their work in Ferguson, Missouri. $20 million to continue the very important work of Michael Brown Sr. and Tony Russell. What work is that? I don't know. Can't quite describe it. But anyway, pay up. There is a certain satisfaction in watching these extortion artists extort one another. These, these shakedown artists try to run the con on one another. And uh, frankly, I don't, I don't blame these guys, Mr. Mr. Brown or Mr. Russell. I don't blame them. BLM organization or grifters just like race hustlers all around the country. So why should, why should one group of them get all the money? Doesn't make a lot of sense. This system is everywhere. It's in corporate boardrooms as we saw last week. It's in retail shops. It certainly would appear to be. It's in universities. It's down in kindergarten education. Kindergartners are now being taught anti-racism, which is just a code word for radical leftist ideology. This is all over our country. Where's the real insurrection? Where's the real coup? Is the insurrection what happened yesterday on March 4th, which proved a mirage? Or is the insurrection the ideological transformation that's going on for decades now, backed up by actual violence in the streets for six to eight months during 2020 when leftist radicals burned down our country. This may be, I'm sorry to say, the new normal. And the new normal, these, these policies, forget racial grievance for a second, even the so-called public health policies that have totally upended our American way of life, that have canceled holidays, that have prevented us from seeing one another, that have taken away so many of our liberties. They might be here to stay, say, Dr. Paul Ofit, who's the director of the Vaccine Education Center in Philly, He's a member of the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee. He was interviewed on CNN and he says, you know, look, once we get COVID under control, someday that'll happen. Uh, We should probably just keep wearing the masks anyway. We figure out what flu strains have been circulating in places like Australia or South America, which sort of predicts what, what strains are likely to come into our, our country. There's been so little flu in those two areas. I think it's going to be hard for us to try and figure out what flu strains to pick. But you're right. It's, if we mask and social distance every winter, we will see a dramatic reduction in flu, which usually causes hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and tens of thousands of deaths. I wonder whether that would be, will be the lesson uh, from this. It's certainly the lesson that you people want to voice on us, but it's not the lesson that I'm going to take. You know, I was, I I knew this was going to happen. I was speaking to a generally more conservative public health expert. There aren't too many conservatives in that particular field. It's just a leftist field. It it involves uh, a left-wing way of thinking about the world and about politics. But I was talking to a guy who's more center, more right-wing. And he said, you know, Michael, maybe this isn't the worst thing. We, We were kind of crazy before. You'd go out when you had the sniffles. That's kind of crazy. We shouldn't be doing that, right? I think we should. I think it is disordered to wear masks in public, like bacteria-ridden banditos. I think that it is inhuman to cover up our mouths, our speech, (laughs) the, the essential quality that makes us human and that defines our system of government, at least the one we've had for a couple hundred years now. It's wrong. It's just intrinsically wrong. I would rather see people's smiling faces, hug my relatives and celebrate Christmas, then maybe avoid getting the sniffles. I'd never get the flu shot and I don't intend to. I don't intend to get this vaccine either. If I were much, much older, I'd consider getting the flu shot and I'd consider getting the coronavirus shot, but I'm not. not saying I'm invincible. I guess there's a terrible world in which a bad flu takes me, God forbid, or, or a COVID or something, but I'm willing to take the risk. We all take risks in society. I would rather have a human, well-ordered society where I can see everybody's smiling face than than not have a light cough. This is the common sense. This is actually the one hope that I think we all have here. The father of what you might call neo-Marxism, cultural Marxism is a term that's used, a very important figure in Western Marxism, is Antonio Gramsci. I, I write about him at great length in my book. Gramsci is the uh, head of the Italian, former head of the Italian Communist Party. He was imprisoned by Mussolini. Uh, one of the worst things Mussolini ever did was imprison this guy because it gave him a chance to write. <laughs> if he was going to imprison him, he should have taken away his pen and paper. He wrote the prison notebooks. He wrote. He wrote about th- this uh, one issue that Marxists have, which is they don't have a grasp on the common sense. The conservatives have the common sense. They have cultural hegemony, and they just a lot of people. When you hear these cockamaney left wing theories, you just say, that doesn't sound right to me. This is why the left has to transform our way of thinking, has to get into the schools very early, has to force on us a new normal so that they can transform the common sense and we don't question their crazy ideas. I think conservatives still have the common sense. I think in many ways this is why Trump and an, an anti ideological candidate, a common sense candidate, did so well in 2016. There was a woman who summed this up to me. She, she pulled up, she's just gone viral in a, a video on social media. She pulls up to a fast food counter. They're going to hand her her food. Some fast food places tell you to wear masks. I obviously never do that, but I guess sometimes they're sticklers. And the, the person refuses to hand the woman her food. He'll hand her a mask, but not her food. She's very confused.
1: Hi. Uh, you have a mask? No, I don't. I can give you one. Uh, you can give me one? I can give you one. Why do I do need I... you to wear a mask. So you can hand me a mask? I can hand you one. Yeah. But you can't hand me the drink without a mask. You've got to wear a mask. How does that make any sense? That's what, that's what I, I just need you to wear a mask when you do mine. Well, if you can hand me a mask, why can't you just hand me the drink? I can hand you the mask.
0: <laughs> uh, listen, sir, I have two brain cells to rub together and an, uh, even a modicum of independent thought, so. I'm just pointing out to you that what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, uh. Wear the mask. Beep boop, beep beep boop. Wear the mask. Bah. Wear the mask. <laughs> uh, this is the battle right now. When we're talking about the insurrections, the coups. Yeah, there is. There is a cultural coup that's going on in our country right now, and we're trying to stave that off. And the two battle lines are exactly what you've heard there. The uh, people who go along to get along, the fast food guy and the woman who, I don't know her politics, but I know that she has at least a little bit of common sense left. If we cannot hold the common sense, if we cannot stave off and shatter the new normal, then uh, that, that will be the final blow. If we can hold on to get the common sense, we have a chance. We are going to be hearing about all sorts of uh, common sense questions from Ben today. Uh, we're also going to be hearing about Neanderthals. We're also going to be <laughs> hearing about Joe Biden. Head on over, listen to his show. And you know, there's another show you can listen to from Ben that would be debunked. Lots of crazy left-wing ideas that uh, go unchallenged in our society. Well, Ben, with his lightning fast reflexes of facts and logic, is going to go in and debunk a bunch of crazy left-wing claims in 15 minutes or less. Uh, he's talking about minimum wage on this most recent episode, head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. This is uh, exclusively a show for Daily Wire members. So if you go head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, use code debunked, you'll get 25% off your new membership. Stay tuned for this Friday's episode where Ben will break down the unions. Hopefully he'll break the unions as well, but he'll definitely break down the unions. We'll be back with a lot more. It is my favorite time of the week, the mailbag. First question from Michael. Dear Michael, when will you be launching the Daily Wire dating app? I'm sick of the hot singles in my area, not sharing my conservative and traditional values. In all seriousness, uh, was that not serious? That's fair enough. It seems like a serious statement. He goes on. In all seriousness, I live in the most liberal city in Wisconsin, and I can't seem to meet any respectable womixen. it's the new spelling, that shares my values. I have not left because I have a great job and I'm close to home and family. Do you have any advice for seeking out the ladies worth their salt or some inspiration to up and move to a more conservative state? P.S. Nice name. Thank you, Michael. I reciprocate the compliment. It's tricky for me to give advice here because I met my wife when we were like 10 years old or something. Not saying we got married right away, you know, dated other people in the meantime, but, uh, but I just have a sort of different dating experience than many people do, and I, I, I was never on the dating apps, for instance. I did not have to date during this particularly crazy political time, so in many ways I dodged a bullet. Sorry to gloat, but that's the way it goes. I left a liberal state and moved to a conservative state, and I did it for professional reasons, first of all, and also personal reasons, because it's easier to raise a kid in a more normal conservative state. And I love it. And I miss some of my friends in California, but basically I wish I had moved here even sooner to Tennessee. I absolutely love it. A lot of people are doing this in the country right now. They are moving to places to follow their philosophical lights because as the country becomes more politically polarized, you're going to, you're not going to want to live in some crazy place where everyone disagrees with you about everything and just views the world fundamentally differently. I'm not saying we can't have nice conversations with people who are on the left. Uh, I'm just saying if we're talking about radically different views of the world, it's going to be harder to get along there. Where to meet a good woman. If you're having trouble on the dating apps, and I know people who've gotten married off the apps, if you're not able to go to bars because of stupid COVID, I would recommend making friends through other affinity groups. Namely, your church, that would be the easiest one, but even through more interest-based groups rather than, you know, religion, which is the fundament, uh, more, more interests. The examples of this are, and it kind of gets to my theory of how the country is changing and and transforming and now going back to a different version of what it used to be. Before we had standardization and mass media, sort of before World War II, we had much more local cultures. So Tennessee would be very different from, I don't know, uh, California. Very, very different. Unrecognizable maybe. Now, though they are still quite different, they're much more similar than they used to be. And if you go to cities in all these different places, the cities are all almost exactly the same. I've traveled all over this country. And it's more similar than it is different. Maybe that will change with polarization again. I'm not quite sure but the, the local question kind of went away. Now that the mainstream media and the standardization is breaking, I think we are ret- we're going away from a common culture again. We're not all watching the same TV shows. We're not all watching the same movies. We're not all watching the same sports. We're not all watching the same newsmen. So that's breaking away. In a way, that's good. It's in a sense kind of a return to localism, but it's not localism rooted in geography. It's rooted in ideological affinity groups in many ways. So it's not that once the mainstream media and the common culture cracks, we're all just going back to our local VFW hall. It's that we're all going online and talking to people who have the same interests that we do on the other side of the country or maybe even on the other side of the world. I'm not willing to speculate now on what that means for our politics, but what it means for you is maybe you'll meet a lovely lady through the Daily Wire Uh, audience community. I actually saw on Twitter there was a singles chat going on in the Daily Wire community. I do think that you're going to have to look more specifically into your interest groups, into your affinity groups than just the local bar. I think the new normal in many ways is shutting that down. From Matthew, Michael, I was listening to the Ben Shapiro show and would ask him this, but he doesn't respond to the mailbag. Real nice. I'm, I'm number two. I'm your plan B, really sweet of you. For the conservatives fighting the culture war, what does victory look like? There there are some people who want the conservative cultural win to just be a return to the 1950s. There are some people who want a conservative cultural win to be a return to the 1350s, you know, in medieval Europe or something. I'm kind of more in favor of that than of the former. Ultimately what it is, a conservative cultural win is a society ordered toward the good, the true, and the beautiful. So Rab Amari wrote something to this effect a few years ago in First Things. A conservative cultural win is a society that recognizes that there is such a thing as the good and that some things are better than others. The left currently espouses this and the right tries to pretend that we can't. The right has basically embraced a radical skepticism that says, well, I can't tell you that you should do this or you shouldn't do this. You just do whatever you want and I'll do whatever I want and, and we'll all be totally fine. That, that doesn't make any sense. All societies have to acknowledge that some things are better than other things. So if we can get past that kind of ridiculous hump, which I try to do in my new book, Speechless, then you have to say, well, what is the good? Through our faculties of reason, we can do that. An example of how far we've fallen. Just look at architecture from 100 years ago. Well, from 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, compared to today the architecture used to look more beautiful. It was ordered more toward beauty. Then there was a trend in recent years to go away from beauty, to, to focus on functionality or utility. And then there's been a trend in even more recent years to actively embrace ugly things. That's why we live in an ugly society. Roger Scruton, the recently departed conservative philosopher, said that if you want people to love their country, you need to give them a beautiful country. Something as simple as that. Give them a beautiful place to live and they'll like where they live. We need to take seriously those kind of questions. We need to take moral questions much more seriously. And we need to take factual questions. What is, what is true much more seriously than we do now? Because we don't maybe we don't want to offend people or we don't want to incur the wrath of the PC mob. We have to hit all three of those things. That's a very different kind of political vision than just... Uh, cut my taxes and leave me alone. But cut my taxes and leave me alone has not worked out very well for us. It hasn't given us, uh, it hasn't led to permanent tax cuts and it hasn't even left us alone. So it just, it just doesn't work. We need to, we need to dig in much more seriously. From Stephanie, the other day, one of my last remaining lefty friends told me that she wants the lockdowns and mandatory masking to go on forever. She has a second grader in school with my daughter and says that she is happy not to have gotten so much as a runny nose kind of like that doctor on CNN. I was honestly baffled by this particular worldview and new level of cowardice that she'd be willing to give up her life to maybe live longer or live life without any runny noses. Since she and I are both Catholic, I wondered if you might have a theological answer to this that I haven't thought of. When I tried to respond by saying that there is more to life than just surviving, she scoffed at me and said, I don't value my health enough. I really want to continue this friendship, but I thought you might have some answers for me. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. Chesterton famously described heresy, not as the promotion of vice over virtue, but of the promotion of some virtue to the exclusion of all the other virtues. So having your health is a a good thing, but it is not the end of life. It is not the purpose of life to maintain our good health all the time. If, If we think that it is, we are making an idol out of that and we fall into heretical ways of thinking. I'll give you a very specific example with the COVID lockdowns. We are not permitted and for, for a long period of, of the past year and a half, or I guess, year, we're coming up on the now the one-year anniversary, 365 days to slow the spread. For, for the better part of the last year, we have not been permitted to receive the sacraments. We've not been permitted to go to church, and if you're Catholic, you know we have an incarnational faith, you need to receive the sacraments. It is much more important to receive the sacraments than to avoid the sniffles. It is much more important. We are incarnational beings. We are not just disembodied souls. We are souls with bodies joined together. hylomorphic beings is the technical term. And we need to do things. We need to see one another. It is also simply disordered to walk around like banditos all the time and not see your relatives and not hug your loved ones and not go to their funerals and not bring people together for the births of children for important events to keep people away from their education, that is disordered. To not celebrate Christmas, for one, that is disordered. And I suspect your friend is taking a good thing, which is health, and making an idol out of it, which is why her view of the world is so screwy. From Brady, hi, Michael. I enjoyed. The changing a tire discussion that you all had on the Daily Wire backstage last week—we were all talking about whether or not we had ever changed a tire—and I said that I, I actually had changed a tire. It's the manliest thing I've ever done. I've only done it like once or twice, uh, but yeah, some of the other guys had had not done it. So Brady writes, "My wife and mother of my four children can confirm that while we were dating, the night I had to change a tire in a full suit after a banquet is still probably the most manly thing I've ever done." What are your thoughts/slash plans for your children in looking for a spouse? My wife and I have discussed the idea of courtship, but are unsure of how lenient slash strict to be in our policies. Thanks and keep up the amazing work. Th- this ties in actually with that, that earlier answer we were giving, which is I grew up in a very liberal environment. My mother was fairly conservative. You know, my, my family was kind of moderately conservative, kind of moderately liberal. They were sort of in the middle. Uh, but in a very liberal place, very liberal school, very liberal friends, very liberal everybody. And so we were not encouraged to undergo any kind of new, contrived, formal courtship. We uh, were encouraged to do the opposite of that. Uh, uh, When we were young and irresponsible, we were encouraged to be young and irresponsible. And we made all sorts of mistakes and dated all sorts of people and did all sorts of things we shouldn't have done. And then somehow I ended up Married to my high school sweetheart in this very sort of traditional setup with a very traditional view of the world. After 10 years of being an atheist and a brief stint of considering being a lib, I came back and now I'm to the right of Attila the Hunt. Had I been raised in a much more formal kind of uh, conservative setting, I don't know how that would have worked out. I mean, I'm sorry that I lost 10 years being an atheist derelict, but I'm all's well that ends well. You know, as St. John Vianney said, not all the saints started well, but they all ended well. So I, the thing I would tell you, which is, I don't think it's a cop out. I think it's actually conservative insight is you, you, you value all the values and include prudence. Prudence is a virtue and it's a particularly conservative virtue. I think you've got to gear it toward your individual children. If one of your kids just is a wild child, you're going to probably need to put some more constraints on that kid. If one of your kids is basically buttoned up and a good kid, then maybe you loosen up a little bit. And it's going to depend on who your kids are attracted to. If they're attracted to, you know, Johnny on the Harley, you know, taking your daughter behind the gym after school or something, then, you know, uh, maybe you're going to have to have a tougher hand in this sort of thing. And if not, then you're going to be able to be a little bit more lenient. But I think we we shouldn't just have some ideological 10 bullet point, this is exactly what you should do. You're talking about your family. You're talking about real relationships. You're talking about very particular things. You You should follow specificity and prudence. Final question from MP. I'm 25, wrapping up my final semester of graduate school in philosophy at Franciscan University of Steubenville, one of my absolute favorite universities in the country. My plan prior to starting the current semester was to enter the U.S. Navy and take the legal route after hearing about some of the new policies the Navy's putting in place that are very left-wing. I'm not so sure anymore. I want to serve my country and join the military, but I don't want to be dishonorably discharged because I can't go along with their new policies. Do you think a Catholic can still serve in the military despite these policies? Thanks. Love the show and all you guys at the Daily Wire. Uh, I do think that a Catholic can still serve in the Navy. I come from a Navy family myself, uh, lots of relatives uh, in the Navy. And so I think they can, it's very frustrating what the Navy and the government bureaucracies in general, the military is not excluded from that, are doing in terms of political correctness. But I I don't think you're in a position right now, I don't think the situation's gotten so bad that you would not be able to uh, live your faith and still serve in the Navy. It requires sacrifice, perhaps one of those sacrifices is putting up with PC policies until we can get someone in there at the political level to reverse them, until we can start to undo this silent coup that's been going on for a long time. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coramina, Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire, 2021. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of the Andrew Clavin Show. You know, some people are depressed because the Republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on the Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to the Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the Republic with me, Andrew Claven.